My name is Samuel Lee, and you are listening to the QC Pod on the Night News. QC Pod features the people, projects, movements, and ideas that make up the Queens College community. To learn more, visit us at queenspodcastlab.org/qcpod. Today, we bring you a tale that encompasses not only survival, resilience, and hope, but also the chilling horrors and profound injustices of the past. This is the story of Joseph Sungolovsky, a man who not only survived the Holocaust, but went on to become a professor, now emeritus, of French literature and Jewish studies at CUNY Queens College. But first, we hear from Paul Fadul, a lecturer at CUNY Queens College and a former student-turned-friend of Joseph Sungolovsky. Can you tell me a little bit about who Joseph Sungolovsky is to you? We go back a long way, actually. I majored in uh, French and political science at Queens College in the 80s, and it, it so happens that I had a number of French literature classes with uh, Joseph Sungolovsky. Even my uh, PhD dissertation titled How to be a French Jew, Proust Lazare Lissant, came about because of conversations that I had with uh, Joseph while doing my master's at Queen's College. I'm curious, what have your conversations with Joseph, initially as his student and later as his colleague, revealed to you about his character and the type of person that he is? As a matter of fact, he is a man who puts the accent on the positive. In the recordings, he recalls his perspective as a Jewish child experiencing distressing events. But he was already praising the French and Italians who gave assistance or protection to the Jews. And in particular, he mentions the, the then Bishop of Nice, Bishop Raymond, and later on, he also saw the positive in his colleagues and, and students, which is what helped make him a valuable professor. I remember when I was taking your French class that you came to me and told me about Joseph's story and the need for it to be shared. Can you talk about why this project matters? Well, uh, I see it as a work of memory. Remember that in one of our interviews with Zongolovsky, he mentioned his wish to transmit to future generations what he had witnessed and experienced as a child in a France occupied by Germany and Italy. And then we experienced another aspect. Joseph did not tell us the story in a linear way, but he told us one event followed by an earlier event, followed by a future event, in fact, there is this constant shifting between the past and future all occurring in the past. And finally, you know that he and I had talked about his uh, French youth before quite a few times. And every time that we talk about it, I find that it puts the accent on a different episode or an event is slightly different than what I remember. But it is uh, simply how memory works. I do consider myself a survivor when you consider the overall picture of what the Holocaust was all about. Not- now speaking is Joseph Sungolovsky. He was born in Belgium in the year 1931, and he had a very extensive family consisting of his maternal grandfather, 
his parents, his older sister, and his younger brother. Growing up, Joseph spent a lot of time in the synagogue and was rooted in his religious heritage and involvement in the local Jewish community. For the most part, all went well in Joseph's early childhood. But everything changed on May 10th, 1940, when Belgium was invaded by Nazi Germany. The German army invaded Holland and Belgium early this morning by land and by landings from parachutes. The armies of the Low Countries are resisting. Fleeing the Nazi occupation, Joseph's family joined a throng of people heading to France. They took this journey by train, and it was packed with terrified passengers. The trip, the trip stopped, and uh, you know we can't go any further because there is a bombardment that is in progress. Many people got very scared, and uh, they went out. It was on the countryside. It was in countryside. They went outside in order to hide in the uh, yeah the fields. Right, many of them were killed. My father said. We are not going anyplace. We are staying in the train because of my grandfather. As soon as they crossed the border into France, Nazi-planted bombs exploded around the train tracks. Panic ensued, and understandably, many people ran out of the train, but Joseph's father insisted that they stay on due to the fact that they were traveling with his 83-year-old grandfather, who was in no condition to run. This proved to be a life-saving decision, as those who fled the train were killed by the explosions. Okay, you want to go to France, we'll take you to France. They took us to France. The, the next morning, we arrived in a little village, it's called Saint-Pour-Saint-Sur-Sioul. Uh, that was the name of the, the village. Uh, there, they were welcomed by French rescue organizations and initially housed in an old-age home and later in a barn. During this time, Joseph attended a small public school. All I can remember is that I loved the milk that they were serving, the bowl of milk called un bol de lait. <laughs> bol de lait. And we stayed in that village for a while, Saint-Pour-Saint-Sourcil. Uh, there was no place for us to stay. Ironically, while in this village, the Sungolovsky family soon came under suspicion, but not for being Jewish. My grandfather wasn't speaking uh, any French. He was speaking German and Polish and something like that. But somebody heard that he was speaking, he was speaking German. So he circulated a rumor that my grandfather was a spy because... Joseph's family couldn't catch any breaks. A neighbor overheard his grandfather speaking German and accused the family of working with Nazi Germany. They opened up like a mini investigation. We told them, look, look, at, look at him. My father was a Hasidic Jew and he had, he had a beard and everything. You know, he's not a spy. He doesn't look like a spy. So, uh, After this, Joseph's father decides to move the family to a Jewish community in Vichy, France. A resort town. My father said, no, we're not going to stay here because, you know, there's no one to talk to. And he said, let me go and take a trip to the next big town where there is a Jewish community, which was Vichy. Joseph's family stays in Vichy, and given the circumstances, they're doing okay. But then, in June of 1940, France accepts defeat 
and comes to an armistice with Hitler's Germany. Here, a few feet from where we're standing, in the very same old Vagonly railroad coach where the armistice was signed, on that chilly morning of November 11, 1918, negotiations for another armistice, the one to end the present war between France and Germany, began at 3.30 p.m. German summer time this afternoon. So, there's an agreement between Philippe Pétain, former president of the Council of Ministers of France, and Adolf Hitler. This agreement decided upon breaking up France into occupied and non-occupied zones. The government of Vichy had its seat in Vichy, and the moment it came in, it said, everyone who is not a French citizen has to leave and look for another place. Joseph's family had to make yet another move, and this time they moved to a French city called Nice. And this was the non-occupied zone. What was the non-occupied zone? The non-occupied zone was that you could not see Nazis on the street. Life in Nice was relatively normal for a while, but then the city's atmosphere began to change. You could not see Nazis on the street, but they were calling the shots. They told the French, this is what you do, and this is what you do, and this is what you do. Some of the things that I just mentioned, one or two, they took away all the Jewish business away from the Jews. They said, that's ours. They put a, a sign on the window and it says, Entreprise Juive. That's a Jewish enterprise. Therefore, it belongs to us. While in Nice, the Italian army invaded France. But in Joseph's words, they actually treated Jewish people quite well and with sympathy. The Italian army were wonderful people wonderful to Jews. Among them, there were, there were uh, I'm talking about the, the, the officer, the military. Military said, okay, you know, you said, well, you could do this, you could do that, you could do that, you could do that, and they were very nice. It was a brief moment of peace in a time of war. And I say brief because Nazi Germany eventually grew upset with Italy's treatment of Jews and expelled Italy from France, taking charge of pursuing the Jewish population in the south of France themselves. It made me very, very sad. They took all the soldiers, they took away their weapons, their, their um, ceintures, their, their, their belts, belts yeah, and, uh, and, and the guns that they had. They, they, were, they were not the Italians. The Italians took it away and they were like prisoners of war. They were POWs. They were POWs. Of the Germans. Yeah, of the Germans. And so it began. Another chapter in Joseph's life in which he had to hide from the Nazis, but this time, he was separated from his family. So, Joseph and his brother, Leon, bounce around from place to place. All the while, the rest of their family is staying with a friend of theirs named Rose. The reason for the separation was that Rose's place wasn't big enough to accommodate everybody. Her basement only fit Joseph's mother, father, and his sister. My brother and I were shunted from one place to another. 
two weeks here, three weeks there. And at one point, there was a lady, she came one night and she said, you know, I can't keep you, but um, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to go because uh, it, it's too dangerous for me. And, uh, that woman then gets in contact with the Jewish resistance, who pledges to take Joseph and his brother under their wing. We were moved uh, to a, uh, a convent, a, a school, a Catholic school, of wonderful, wonderful people. The principal, he, says to, he said to us, one thing for you, uh, you have to come every morning to Mass. Every morning come to Mass. I'm not asking you to become Catholic, but come to Mass. My brother and I are going to mass every morning. <laughs> In Hebrew, we have an expression, go to minion. <laughs> so we were going to mass to the extent that I still remember a good part of the mass that I could recite. Joseph and his brother attend the school for a while, but then they're told that they have to move. The father of the school said, look, uh, arrangements were made for you to go to another place. What was the place? It was a villa in a, in a uh, section, not far from where the school was. It was a beautiful section. Uh, it was called Simye. So Joseph and his brother are taken to this villa by the Jewish resistance, and everybody in the area knows that there are two little Jewish boys being hidden. We were foolish. We wanted to keep our kippah on. What do you mean? <laughs> it was terribly dangerous to wear the kippah. Joseph and his brother stay at this villa until one night when everything changed. In the night, it was after I say about three weeks that we were in that place. The Gestapo came that night and picked up the Jewish family that was there, except for the old woman who said, uh, who the Gestapo, the Gestapo said, we're not gonna take her, she's too old. A close encounter with Nazi Germany. They came directly to his house and took one of the other Jewish families staying there. Lucky enough for Joseph though, his sister showed up the very next day by sheer coincidence. Periodically, my sister came to visit us. And I told the whole story of what happened because Stefan was here. I said, What? She said, My mind, my sister said, What? <laughs> You're not staying here one night. She said, Yeah, I'm not staying here one night. She contacted the, uh, the, 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 the resistance, and the next day, the resistance, the Jewish resistance, the, 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 you know, they, they said, Come with us. And she took us away. And it was lucky because the Gestapo would come back and pick up whatever Jews had left. Had we been there, she would have taken us. And that's it. Joseph and his brother are continuously moving all over France, tirelessly trying to keep safe from informants and collaborators. They make it to this beautiful country home in an artist colony. The owners of this home had a really sweet dog. His name was Fidelio. Fidelio. So, uh, 
I used to, and if then you liked me very much. They used to come with you at the time he was gathering the the, the cows and the thing on the on the lawn. So he was a shepherd dog. He was a shepherd dog. Yeah, that's what he was. Exactly. That's what he was. Joseph spends his summer at this home, and everything's going well. Then they get a visit. It's the French police. You know, this police came in. The, police, the French police came in. The lady thought that she can shoot them away. She said, you know what? I'm going to give you a glass of wine. Do you like wine? They always, they, they must have come there before to drink wine. And wine, if they took the wine glass, they turned it over. Although the wine bribe didn't work, the French police let them off with a warning. They said that the Gestapo was aware of the safe house and that they need to leave, otherwise the Gestapo would come pick them up. This brings us to Joseph's final destination before the war's end. A Catholic boarding school nestled in the tranquil French Alps near Grenoble. The whole thing was arranged by Bishop Raymond of Nice. My mother said, come with me. She said to me, not my brother, but me. She said, come with me. And we went to see Monsignor Raymond, you saw him over yes. there. He said, come with me. And, and, he, and he received us very nicely, and he said, kiss the ring, you know, kiss the ring. Okay, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and he was very happy about it, you know. But we never, throughout this entire period, there was never an attempt to convert us by anyone. The bishop saved 527 children. 527 children. Joseph attends the school for 10 months under a false identity with a fake French name, Joseph Barreau. He continued to study successfully without being outed as a Jewish boy, all the while sending letters to his father. He had to address them to his fake Italian aunt, who was actually just his father's neighbor. One day, Joseph bumps into this boy at school. He had recognized him from walking along campus, but now he decides to speak to him. Sister, I ask you a question. Do you know by any chance if there is a truck that is leaving for Nice? He says, yes, I do. Tomorrow morning, there is a truck leaving for Nice tomorrow morning early. I said, really? He said, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you very much. I ran back to the, to the pension and I told the lady, the director, you know, there's a way for me to go home. There's a way for me to go home. Him and his brother get on this bus that's headed for Nice, but the journey doesn't go as expected. The tires blow out. He says, we're not going any further. We're staying here, and you're going to spend the time in the hotel. They continue their commute the next morning, and Joseph remembers this letter that his father had sent him. My father said to me, look, here is my, here is our address. My, my mother, my father, from the Simier, the Simier address. We lived in a, like, a, a general uh, complex. Joseph follows the address and has this great big reunion with his family. Things are calming down with the war, and after some time, his family decides to move to America. From there, Joseph attended Yeshiva University, followed by Yale, where he got his doctorate in French literature. But as Joseph's academic journey flourished, it was about to intersect with a new and equally important chapter in his life. 
on his wife, honey, Sungalowski. And um, I had just graduated from Brooklyn College, majoring in languages and in English. And I also studied some French, which came in handy later. <laughs> and uh, I had also spent a year at Bar, at Bar Ilan University in Israel. Also took some French courses and turned out that some of my professors, Joe knew, which turned out to be a funny coincidence. But anyway, um, Joe was invited to give a lecture um, in Brooklyn, where I lived, on a Friday night, and I attended that lecture. And um, I asked a question about a French writer, Roe Grier, and I, I guess he was impressed with the fact that a girl from Brooklyn would even have heard of Roe Grier. Because <laughs> he considered that a cultural desert. So anyway, he asked around, he found out my name, and two weeks later he called me up and uh, we started dating. And that's how we met. We had our honeymoon in, uh, mostly in France, which was wonderful. And um, that was the beginning of, our, beginning of our married life, which was quite a long time ago. Joseph's story is a testament to the human spirit's capacity for survival, growth, and love, even when faced with unimaginable horrors. You have been listening to QC Pod, the podcast about all things Queens College. We're on Twitter at QC Pod and on the web at queenspodcastlab.org slash qcpod. Our theme music is Lake Monsters by John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants. My name is Sammy Ali, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>